Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Amplify podcast with us here at Project Zazzy. Before we jump into this episode today, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know what I'm about to say, okay? If you haven't checked out Black Bristol, make sure you do. You're on the website, there's over two hours of content relating to the unforgotten or forgotten black history here in Bristol that we don't often get taught about as people uh, of colour and just people in general uh, and the importance of this history in really shaping our city and us as Bristolians. So if you haven't checked out Black Bristol, make sure you do. And um, yeah, we hope you find it useful, educational and inspiring. So welcome back to another episode today. I'm very, very, very excited to get into this conversation. And you know by now, that I don't introduce the guests. So guest, would you mind introducing yourself to the people and telling them a little bit about you? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, hi everyone, my name's Elise Lawrence and I am a psychology student at UE currently. Um, at the moment I'm on my placement year so I'm not actually studying properly um, but I do work at the university so I have a placement role within the widening participation team within applied sciences. Um, so that's actually a role that I created myself so created my role now I've got the funding so I'm getting I'm getting paid to kind of do what I enjoy so I have like a lot of creativity with my placement so um, as well as studying I'm also the founder of the Ellie project so it sounds a bit vain because it sounds like it's named after myself but um, which it is technically but there's a lot of meaning behind it Mm. and um, so basically just a little bit about the Ellie project Um, so as a psychology student Obviously, I've become aware ever since going to university that there is a a big lack of diversity within the field of psychology. Mm. Um, Myself going to lectures, you know, going to university, I absolutely adore my lecturers, but there is not one lecturer on my course who is of the BAME background, no black or Asian lecturers, everybody's white. And even though they're all lovely and great, it's it's just it's not always the same as having somebody there who looks like you so I kind of did a bit more research and digging and um, that's kind of where the Ellie project came out of so I'll, I support students who want to pursue a career in psychology so it's students from diverse backgrounds um, so my kind of aim and goal for that is to kind of just support them throughout their um, career in psychology kind of preventing problems before they become problems mm. that's what my goal is I think, yeah, I mean, it's such, like, the work you're doing is so, so, so important. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation because we've had conversations with psychology students before, but we were focusing more on this, the the neurodiversity aspect and, and the sort of cultural aspect, which we can touch on as well, uh, uh, undoubtedly in, in this conversation. But I think it's always for me as a psychologist as well as a background uh, in psychology and as a with a degree in psychology you know I, I always whenever I find black psychologists I'm always just like yo tell me how you got into this because like it's not something very similar to you like I didn't have any black lecturers I didn't have any sort of black psychology or even black social science academics that I could be like yeah okay, I can see myself in that space. So if you wouldn't mind just unpacking a little bit about your your journey into sort of psychology and kind of how you find yourself in that space before we talk about the fantastic project that you're doing. Okay, so this is always like a funny story, which sure. I love to tell people. Mm-hmm. So originally, I was never going to do psychology. Right. So, well, I 
wouldn't say never. So before I went, before I did my A-levels, I'd always wanted to do psychology and pursue a career in psychology. Mm-hmm. So then I did my A-levels mm. and I absolutely despised it. Mm. I hated doing psychology. It it was literally my worst subject at, during my A-levels, mm-hmm. but not for the whole time though. So um, I was doing well in all my other subjects and then, you know, psychology was just, it was just not great. It was is really stressful for me um I couldn't get my head around like how to write the essays and the concepts and you know just being during my a-levels I didn't really I wasn't that aware of it um I was more aware of it now mm-hmm. that I'm I'd finished my a-levels mm-hmm. but when I was at school you know I I realized that people weren't picking up the fact that I was struggling or the fact that I was struggling and they could see it was reflected in my grades but they didn't really you know, provide me with any extra support at the time. Mm. Um, you know, I could sense like slight favoritism. You know, mm. my my teeth were white, and you could tell that there were certain students which they would kind of get along with um, more like friends. Mm-hmm. So I guess that kind of <laughs> it made me feel a bit, you know, odd. You know, I was just there. I was just trying to do my thing, and um, yeah, there was just it just seemed like there was quite a bit of favoritism of other students mm. um, as opposed to myself. You know, I was still quite a shy person. I was quite awkward. You know, I wasn't the best when it comes to um, with my mental health. Like my mental health, I didn't really pay much attention to at that time because the way I kind of went through A levels, I just got my head down. I was just trying to get through each day, mm. basically. So I didn't really pay too much attention to. I need to get myself some help for these things that I'm going through. Mm. Mm. So. Um, for the whole of year 12, I was getting like D's, E's, U's throughout the whole of psychology. And then all of a sudden something just switched and it's like, okay, I get how to write these essays now. Literally just before my mocks, that is when I got it. And mm. so after getting D's and E's all year, I came out of my mock exams and I got, um, not my mocks, sorry, it was my AS exams mm-hmm. and I got a B. I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I'm not as stupid as I think I am. Mm. And um so yeah, the same thing pretty much happened in year 13. Um, I wasn't getting amazing grades. And by the end of the year, I was just like, okay, all I need is a C in psychology mm. and it's cool, fine. I had no plans to do psychology. I said, after A-levels, I'm never doing psychology again. <laughs> mm. A bit of foreshadowing there. Um, and then what happened? Gosh, it's so long ago that I can't even remember the whole story. Um so yeah, so what happened was I planned to do cellular and molecular medicine because okay. um, I loved biology, mm. you know, I still love biology, um, but again, biology A-level, I could, I was always good at the content, I understood the content and I knew how to teach somebody else content, but I couldn't, I couldn't get the exams. So my exam technique was whack mm. and it didn't matter how hard I tried, I did all these past papers and mm. it just wasn't working. Sure. Um, I don't know if there's anybody here who who eventually listens that does A level biology, but you can probably pass A level biology just on if you're good at the exam technique right. alone. Yeah. Mm. So I struggled a lot um, in my A levels, and then what happened in the end was that um, psychology ended up being my highest grade mm. <laughs> of all of my A levels. So that was the first sign. I was like, okay, maybe. Mm. might consider it but then I was still very stubborn I still wanted to get the grades to do biology so I 
uh, molecular medicine. Um, so I redid my biology A level. I still didn't, I got, I was one grade off and, you know, I had a careers coach as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically spoke to them and they were like, have you considered psychology? Cause this was your highest grade. So we just started talking about it and I was, I was so against it. Like I, I wasn't outwardly against it, but in my head I was like, oh, I'm not considering this whatsoever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he started talking about psychology and explaining it. And I was like, all of these ideas of what I could use my degree for just started like crashing through my head. Mm-hmm. I was like, had one idea after the next, after the next, it was, re- it was a really crazy experience. Um, because I've always been taught that if you're going to go to university, kind of make sure you choose something where you have an idea of what you're going to utilize your degree for afterwards. Sure. And with the biology sort of stuff, I think the only thing I could really think of was going into research. Mm. Um, but I don't think that would, it, I don't think that would have been fulfilling enough for me. Yep. Um, so yeah, so then obviously I went back to talking about psychology and then I had all these ideas. I kept, over the years, I just kept making notes in my phone, like, oh, I could do this, I could do that, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't even like jobs. These were like ideas that I would create myself. You know, there were jobs that weren't there yet. Yeah. It was ideas of what I could utilize my degree for, how I could help people. And the, the main thing throughout everything was always helping somebody else. Mm. Um, whenever I go into these, um, whenever I, when I think about going into my psychology degree, I've never, I wouldn't say I've ever thought about it. I haven't ever thought about utilizing it for my own personal reasons. Mm. It's always been to do something for somebody else, to help somebody else, to make sure that somebody else doesn't suffer through things the way that I suffered through things. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was basically my journey into psychology. Mm. Um, I'm in my technically third year, Mm. but uh, my placement year, and things are going great. I've been getting good grades. Um, I actually figured out that the reason why I struggled at you know, at A level so much is because I had dyspraxia, mm. but it wasn't diagnosed. So that kind of explained the mental block I was having between, you know, my exam my exam content and applying it to paper as well. Mm-hmm. I that and I it wasn't diagnosed until I was at university. Um, so that was also something which really irritated me because I, I know I could have done a lot better in my exams if I'd have had that support yeah. during my A-level, even growing up, because it's a condition which is usually picked up in children from when they're young. And looking back, it just made me so irritated because, you know, I know that I was racially stereotyped yes. Yeah, with that yeah. because there was another girl in my class at school in senior school, in secondary school. And she as well suffered from dyspraxia. Mm-hmm. And I had all of the same symptoms that she did, you know, horrendous writing. Um, I was really, you know, I was, I used to run out of time a lot, you know, I couldn't catch up and it would just take me a lot, a bit, um, it would just take me a bit more time to kind of get my head around things or to make notes mm. um, or to read, you know, and it would make me so insecure that I just became very quiet and I just shut down. Mm. Um, just, that just followed me throughout my entire field of education. Mm. So it's so at this moment now that I, I'm aware of this condition that I have, it's kind of undoing all the insecurities and all the negative things that I told about myself, like you're dumb, you know, 
don't know why you're so stupid, like all these things, it's the process of undoing that and having more confidence in my intelligence. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I mean, firstly, <laughs> firstly, thank you for sharing your, your sort of journey into psychology because what I've found is that for most people that I speak to that are from, you know, um, Afro-Caribbean or, or, or African backgrounds or, or just black backgrounds in, in general, are, are there's always there's always something very individual and specific to that experience and often it's different but there are elements of similarity as well um it, you know just listening to you speak i think for me i resonated with the idea of psychology not being my best subject which is like i have a career in it now but like the a level format was not for me i really didn't like it i just wanted to kind of get through it as quickly as possible but it ended up being very similar to you like once I realized how wide it was all these ideas started flowing and everything started kind of you know uh, I suppose working out for me in a sense um before we move on in, into you know the rest of the discussion as well what you said about the the, the diagnosis surrounding dyspraxia is very very interesting um for me and uh, you know I think it's something that systemically we're seeing more and more of just as context for listeners to um, we see in particular, you know, young black women being consistently um, misrepresented in the sort of what we class, I don't know, as neurodivergent or, or having extra requirements or needing extra requirements consistently let down within the space um consistently you know it's always it seems to be university level where things get picked up and that's usually where you're paying you know what i'm saying like you're, you're actually now paying you know for your education yeah. so it's like oh maybe we should help these people out a bit more because they are actually paying for stuff you know what i'm saying like even then it's kind of like not directly at the start it's like one year two years in and they're like wait a second hold on maybe have you thought about it? but it's like it's so late down the line that you've gone through different parts of life thinking that you know what well, I don't know what's kind of wrong like you said this internal narrative of like oh maybe I'm not quite smart for this maybe I'm not quite cut out for this when really you've been let down by a system that was supposed to pick that up quite you know early on in your life right um but I feel yeah. myself getting angry at this point because I'm just like <laughs> I feel myself get that yeah i just you know and this is not the first story that i've heard you know you, you see it all the time but again thank you so much for bringing it up because it really does provide context for the listeners too and saying that look when we say we're let down by the system we're not just talking about like overt like uh, discrimination we're talking about like diagnosis like the, the health sector in general is I've got a lot to answer for in in that that regard so again thank you for sharing that and um providing some context for, for the listeners what i got yeah, what i got listening to you was um i think a lot of what you what drove you to this point of, of creating your own project and i want to speak about the house role as well because i think that's really really dope <laughs> but like i think the project that you've created would you say that was stem that stemming from your experience through the system and making sure that that doesn't happen to any other sort of young people like yourself is that something that you'd say was reflective of that oh yeah 100 mm -hmm. percent um i'd say that's probably one of the that was one of the main reasons um mm. that this project came to light and i think the kind of drive to start up this project really did start to come after my diagnosis mm. and my diagnosis in itself it's not 
it wasn't even picked up on it wasn't picked up on by lecturers it's something where I was just talking to one of my friends mm. you know one of my friends who had recently been diagnosed with dyslexia mm. um he was doing he was in his final year he was about to do he was about to start his master's so he was doing his final year of his of his degree and he that's when he got diagnosed with dyslexia and he as well is a black male student mechanical engineering and even his diagnosis didn't get picked up until later and we were just talking and he was talking about how that kind of process was and what symptoms he was experiencing and I was like wait I've experienced a lot of those things as well you know mm-hmm. throughout school throughout my A-levels it was crazy and that's actually what led me to getting tested for it so I, I did all the necessary say things and you know it's, it's it's something it's hard because when you are a person of color when you're um and going to university a lot of a lot of what you need to do is you have to do it yourself yeah. you know it's it's a case of you can't rely on other people to do these things for you because mm-hmm. they just they just won't care about you like that they they don't care about you like your own people care about you mm-hmm. um you won't understand you like your own people understand you mm-hmm. so um if, as well, if you've gone through this whole time of your life with an undiagnosed learning difficulty, mm. you kind of learn to, you kind of develop your own mechanisms, like defense mechanisms to mm. deal with it, to try and get through the day. Um, you know, I, I tried so hard in school. Like, I, that's what was the most heartbreaking is that I tried really hard. I put so much effort into my work and then it would just never constantly, again and again, it just wouldn't pay off. Right. You know, I do. I put so much effort into something and then find out I'd done the wrong thing. Um, and it was just heartbreaking and it really took a toll on me. And mm. that's also what contributed to the inspiration for this project is that, you know, as well as applying like my research, um, research that I've done in psychology, well, not actual research, but, you know, looking at um, uh, research papers, looking sure. into research papers, you find that these issues can happen from as young as like being in nursery mm-hmm. um you know the issues happen way before the students even get to university mm-hmm. and my whole one of my main aims is you know like I said before is to prevent the problem before it happens mm-hmm. and that's why um that's why I've started with A-level students so I do want to go potentially to GCSE students as well right. um who are psychology but um yeah, it's kind of like if you think about the um, attachment theory. So mm. another psychology thing. So attachment theory: if um, if a child doesn't form an attachment within the first two years of life to a primary caregiver, then they have issues up until you know, even up until the age of sixteen. You know, low IQ, um, lack of emotional um, emotional development. You know, they have issues within relationships. You know, that's something that happens from birth. Mm. And the issue still there, sixteen years later. Mm. So my aim is to is kind of similar to that kind of attachment theory model, where I am making sure that I can get in as early as possible, so that these students don't have to suffer the way like I've suffered, the way that I know other people have suffered, so that they don't have to be subject to the stereotype. Mm. Um, that's, that is my main aim for it. It's prevention, prevention and support throughout career. You know, I want to. You know, I want to support students. I want to produce people who are who aren't afraid to go to the top of their field. You know, who aren't who who aren't okay just settling, just just doing not well, not settling, but who aren't okay just being like, okay, cool, I've done my BSc, I'm done. Like, 
you know, what are you doing next? Mm. You know, you can do a master's if you want to, right? Don't shy away from it just because you think it's too hard or you think it's something that you can't handle. Because at the end of the day, nobody, I don't think anybody goes into university thinking it's going to be a breeze. No. Because it's not. It is not a breeze. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get here and it's difficult, but you're never given more than you can't handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than you can handle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, more than you can handle. Sure. Um, it does get tough, but you get through it anyway. And you still come out at the end, you know. It's never going to be linear. It's, there's going to be ups and downs, mm-hmm. but you still get through it. You still keep going. Mm-hmm. And if you have support, it makes it so much easier to deal with. And that's what I want to be doing for other students, other kids, breaking down misconceptions about university and higher education in general. You know, people think of like a PhD and they're like, oh, my gosh, I I could never do a PhD, you know, three Mm. years and I'm going to write like a 40,000 word thesis. Mm. You know, I'm not at that level yet myself. And it is it is kind of scary to look at, but I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to go there. I'm still going to get to those levels because. If I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go into a field, I'm gonna go straight to the top. Mm. I'm gonna get as many qualifications as I can, and then I'm, and then, and then I'm good because that's what I have to do for myself. It's what I have to do for my future family. It's what I have to do for the, for the people who look like me who need to see that because they don't see enough of it. Mm. So it kind of ties into again, like the stuff I do, I don't do it solely for myself. The ma- I mainly do it for other people so that other people can see that representation that I never saw and that I still don't really see um, mm. within my field, within my career. And, you know, I think this can be applied to pretty much anything you do mm. just to see somebody who has gone to the top of their field, whether it's something you're interested in or not, that has a big effect on people because, you know, it shows them it's like, okay, you know, you came from, you know, working class background, you know, didn't grow up you didn't grow up wealthy or middle class or anything and you're here you're still going and you're going straight to the top of your field mm. you know people need to be seeing that representation mm. because it has such a big effect on how they view themselves and how they view themselves is really important when they're trying to progress within a career because if you don't have that faith in yourself if you don't have that confidence in yourself that you can do something mm. you won't you won't do it mm. um so yeah, I'm here to be that little niggling voice in that ear saying, keep going, just do it. You have no reason to stop. No, listen, I think I think that's that's needed. Uh, you know, I think, you know, these kind of projects are the things that I see happening and I see being created. And I'm just like, you know, you know thank God, like for real, because like, I think, you know, even though you're currently you're still in that higher education experience like for me being you know couple almost a couple years at this point removed from it and you know like similar to you like having I did well my degree I I did very well and I, I loved the team that was surrounding me but like sometimes you just need somebody that gets your point of view and your experience better because they've lived it and I think you know um I'm so glad that you're going even before uni because 
I've had conversations with professionals and saying, listen, if you really want to make an impact, start wait just before they even get into the space. Because sometimes even entering the space is just like, what the hell is this? You can almost yeah. feel the whiteness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can just like, you're like, whoa, what is this? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. But like, um, uh, you know, it's such an important project. And just off the back of that, like working with, you know, within the project, have you found anything that's particularly important interesting or, or working with young people you find something that you're like yeah like I, I that's quite interesting like takeaway points from from working with those people so yeah so one of so a lot of the comments I got were um from my students so I've only done my pilot so far so that in itself has been a long process to get Tell me about it. Yeah. to get yeah, I had to take like a one month hiatus in October because boy, started my job Black History Month and I was just thrown into the deep end. It was yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I did my pilot and I've got feedback from that. And the I've had the comments I've had. I think the main ones were it's it's nice to see somebody who can relate to us. Mm. Mm. And I was like that point right there. That is what it's all about. Yeah. That is what I'm trying to do. I was like that hits the nail on the head of why I'm doing this project and the purpose I'm the purpose that I have for it. Mm. You know, they have they talked about, you know, oh, you know, we felt more it felt really we felt really comfortable, you know, having people who are like from our background, you know, they felt more relaxed. You know, we were always just bantering with the students all the time and you know, it was just as well as it, it was great for them, I could tell, but it was also really good for myself and, you know, my mentors that I have as well. Sure. And um, I don't know, I, I don't even know how to describe the experience because it was just so amazing. And, you know, I only had six students and mm. I'm, honestly, I'm, I adore them so much because mm. they gave me a really great, they gave me great feedback, but I had a great experience, you know, helping them and seeing that I had an effect on them that they felt more confident within themselves and within their within their um, within their A levels as well, just because of this short this first of many short programs that I had. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm. You see, like I'm lost for words just thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even know what to say because I just I'm so thankful and grateful. Yeah. for the feedback that I've had so far because I can see that it's actually making a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the whole goal of everything is to make that difference. And, you know, even talking to one thing that did come up as well mm-hmm. with one of the students is that they did say to me that um, they weren't sure if they were going to go to university yeah. and study psychology. Yeah. And I thought it was absolutely crazy because she was one of the brightest students, if not the brightest student in my group. You know, she was, you know, getting B's and A's and A stars. You know, she was, whenever I was asking the students questions, you know, she would always know the answer. And she said, oh, no, I just, I just think it it might be too hard and that might be too hard for me. Mm. And I'm not sure if I want to go and do it or not. And I kind of just had to explain to her, I was like, listen, all degrees are hard. Mm. Don't let that shy you away from going into it. You know, everything in life is going to be a challenge. You know, if if you go through life and there's no challenges, then something is very, very wrong. Mm. And you're not living in, I don't know, I don't know if you, you might be living in some other world, but that's not this world. You know, there is right. a challenge, everything that you do. Nothing is ever going to go perfectly. It's never going to go straightforward. Mm. But 
you know you have you have you're a bright student and you know you can go into university you can do this you know so it's it's that it's those sort of um those sort of thoughts and that sort of mentality which is what I'm really worried for in students because it develops so young and so early on and they've convinced themselves that they're not good enough to go and study something which they are clearly very very good at um it's just really it's really mad to me because the amount of insecurity that students have at a levels is really terrifying and I look back I look back at myself and and I see it Mm. and I look at them and it reminds me of how I was at A-levels. That period of being 16 to 18 yeah. is so critical. And it's it's so terrifying to see how insecure students are at that age because they don't know their self-worth. They don't know their own intelligence. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, being somebody from, you know, a different a background, mm-hmm. which is not white mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. all of that pressure on top of that, it's, it's really really tough and if you get through if you can get through your a-levels you can really get through anything because i'd say that that's definitely the toughest period of your life you know you're just emerging into adulthood um you're you've had this massive leap from gcse's Mm. which is absolutely huge um and you're just trying to figure out what you want to do with your life it's a it's really tough being a teenager at Mm. a-levels it's really horrible but um yeah, that's why we need this space to just reassure them that it can be done. Mm. You know, eventually when you get to uni, you'll kind of start to figure yourself out more generally. And even if you don't, the support's still there. You know, you don't have to have everything sorted out or figured out right now. No. But just make sure you just keep going. Absolutely. Just keep going, keep trying different things, whatever mm. works for you. No, absolutely. Um, there's a few things I wanted to take from that. I think the first thing was, I think, you know, people that listening that maybe aren't in the sort of mentoring or sort of coaching or even, I suppose, uh, teaching framework, like there's often this perception that when you teach, you know, it's it's only for the benefit of, of the people that you work with, but it's definitely two-way. Like, and, and I, I resonate with what you're saying about, you know, not just being beneficial for the, the young people that you work with, but for yourself too, because it's like, for me I always describe it as going back and speaking to past versions of me because the young people that I work with as well it's just like I see myself in them I see myself in particular spaces so it's almost like going back and in a way like dealing with the things that you wish you could have dealt with at that point and kind of putting them things to rest essentially um which you know I think is really really important um you know for, for us as a collective and being able to hold space for each other the second thing was you know I think there is a lot of uh, confidence issues within the young people that we see and we work with as well. And I think, I listen, A-levels were the hardest thing for me. I've I've done the degree thing, like, you know, I was prepared for the like, worst, you know, the third year, you know, you're always told about third year, like third year is the worst, like you're going to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kick your ass. But nothing, yeah. nothing was like the second year of A-levels, absolutely nothing was like that stress of having to get everything done and you know hopefully get to where you wanted to be like I almost didn't go to uni not because I didn't have the grades but again because I didn't believe that I was good enough which is crazy when you think about it sort of now but like it's these things that come up and you're like this is not just me it's cultural it's collective to us as and our experience you know um so 
thank you for sharing that. I think this really, the work that you're doing, like, you know, I knew the, of the work that you were doing, but hearing you speak about it and hearing that passion for it, I think is, you know, the young people are in some real kind of, uh, you know, safe hands with, with you and the work that your project is doing. So on behalf of our community, thank you for that work that you're doing. I think it's super, super important. Um, <laughs> as I said, you know, earlier on, I wanted to talk a little bit about the role that you've created for yourself. I think that's super, super dope. So uh, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that in terms of creating a role? Like you said, you wanted to create roles. So like you have done that. So we want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, just a little bit of a background. I, I think something I've developed over kind of like being since being at university is a habit of creating spaces for myself and making people realize why they need me in them okay Um, it's a good skill to develop because if you can also get paid for it that's also a bonus absolutely um so a bit about my role so my role came about pre-covid so the idea for it came about pre-covid and so in my second year I was um a BME student rep for my faculty so within well within my department within my faculty so um Obviously, the faculty is health and applied sciences. The department that my degree is in is health and social sciences. So I was a student rep for health and social sciences, one of one of six to eight. So this was a completely new role, and um, I was like one of I was like me and other pe- and a few other girls and I think some guys too. We were like the first, very first round of BAME student reps. So we were like the guinea pig mm-hmm. run for the year, and. So I applied for this role and I got it and I was really excited about it. And luckily it was paid as well. So you got paid for your time. And I just realized that in second year, I was just saying yes to everything. And I was taking on a lot. I'd started another little enterprise project, which I'm no longer doing anymore. So obviously I've got this now, but I'm no longer doing the other thing I was working on. Um, so I was doing that. I was going to enterprise workshops. I was doing this student rep role. It was a lot going on. And my time was spread very thinly because also I was doing my degree as well. I had all these essays to write and it was just so hectic. Mm-hmm. So during my time as the BAME student rep, I had all these ideas and, you know, I just realized I never had enough time to pursue them because being a student and doing that at the same time it was just a lot and so much of the work I wanted to do it took a lot more preparation and there was just not enough time you know the academic year you don't even realize but it's actually so short yeah um yeah it's it's barely even barely even nine months I think um yeah so that's so what I kind of what kind of happened was is that I decided I wanted to take a placement year so I had a lot of inspiration from people who were in the year above me. They were like, honestly, I would recommend you take a placement. And what was really great about that is because they were also students who were of colour. Mm. Um, you know, again, perfect example of having that inspiration and having those kind of role models of people who look like you who have already done sure. something else that you have done. Mm-hmm. So after like a long process of thinking, I just decided, I was like, okay, cool. I want to do a placement year. Second year has completely destroyed me. and I'm not ready for third year. Mm. Uh, so I decided to take a placement. I started looking around different things and I was like, this is not great. I was like, there's too many things here. And 
none of them really suit me. Mm. Like, I don't really want to do these, you know. I'd, I'd also realised at that time that I didn't want to go into clinical psychology anymore. Right. So before every anyone who goes into psychology to or does a degree in psychology, you know, when they come to university, that most people want to do clinical psychology. Yeah. That's like a typical thing. You know, mental health is very like, it's very out there right now. It's like the the hot topic. Sure. It sounds bad when I say it like that because it's it's a really serious thing, but it is the hot topic. Yeah, it's something that everybody, everybody's on and that they want to do. But in my second year, I realized that that's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the placements that were available, um, not only were they voluntary, so I wouldn't be getting paid, um, but also they were working with like sort of like mental health stuff. And, you know, it's, it's not what I wanted to go into anymore. I wanted to do something that was relevant to me, something that I would enjoy doing sure. and get paid to do something I like, which is a big ask in mm-hmm. hindsight, trying to find something that you like doing yeah. and also get paid for it. Um so this is where this sort of role came out of. So I spoke to some of my managers um, about this. I said, I have this idea for a placement. Um, I don't know what else I want to do, but this is this is what I want to do. So it was basically like an extension of my student rep role. Right. That I had. So what happened was a long process of just waiting around, waiting for meetings to get set up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did... I emailed the head of, no, I didn't email actually, wait, no, yes, I did email. I went, I walked through the corridors in A Block to try and find the office of the head of the faculty. Mm. No, the head of the department, I get this so confused. Head of my department, Health and Social Sciences. Mm. So after walking through the corridors, I found his office (laughs) and I was like, great, cool. This is the head of the department. So I emailed him and I asked him if we could set up a meeting to talk about my placement ideas. And so he was in there, his associate head was in the meeting and also the the lady, um, Alicia Airy, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say her name on here, but she's amazing, amazing. Um, Alicia Airy, and she was in the meeting as well. So after waiting around for ages for somebody to get back to me, I got a response from the head of the department within like a day. Mm -hmm. Um, Had everything set up, cool, was in like less than a week. Um, So we had our meeting. I was not alive that day. Um, I was up all night <laughs> in the library till seven in the morning. No, yeah, till six in the morning finishing my essay that I had due that day. Sure. I went to, I went home, mm-hmm. had one hour of sleep, came back to uni, had my, no, I had three hours of sleep, came back to uni, had my meeting with the head of the department because I'd prepared like a whole PowerPoint and everything detailing all the stuff I wanted to do. Sure. They were like, cool. This all sounds really great. Next, we just need to find funding because they're actually, universities aren't allowed to offer mm-hmm. unpaid placements mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. So the issue there was just, it was just finding funding and figuring out how they would fund my placement. Um, so yeah, after that, <laughs> went back to the library um, and then I submitted my essay and I was like, cool, crashed, asleep, done. Mm. And then it went dead silent <laughs> yeah. for a couple months. As it does. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and then, obviously that was back in February and then March happened and then that was COVID the university mm-hmm. shut down mm-hmm. dead silence for another three four months and then I had a few emails back and forth where they were discussing it was looking unlikely that I was going to get my placement mm-hmm. so I had a meeting with the 
associate department head and she was just detailing maybe some other alternative things I could do for my placement year. And then I was deciding that I, I then I decided that, okay, maybe I'll just do a self-funded placement year. I'll just use my business and I'll do it that way. Mm. And then I'll get a job on the side. But because it's COVID times, getting a job yep. isn't, it was not easy and I was applying left, right and centre. I was still living in Bristol, but my family were moving back to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So I, I I couldn't plan for my future. Mm-hmm. I didn't know whether I should, you know, get jobs in Bristol, get jobs in Birmingham, mm-hmm. back and forth, left, right and centre. It, it was horrendous. So eventually I had another opportunity to then send my pitch to the dean of Haas. Go literally taking it all the way to the top now yeah. and what happened was I worked so hard on it my lecturer he he worked with me on it so lovely called me at 10 o'clock in the morning because I wouldn't wake up um he's like cool are you free we need to work on this mm. <laughs> we need to strike while the iron's hot so he had emailed the secretary of the dean and what had happened was I was waiting for like another month two months mm-hmm. and I'd still heard nothing and I was like, that's it, guys. I'm so sorry. Thank you for all your support, but I'm just going to go straight into my final year. Mm-hmm. So I'd confirmed everything with student finance, confirmed it on the uni website. And, you know, as a last ditch attempt, I decided to message the dean of my faculty on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking to myself, if I'm going to get a response, a quick response, this is the quickest way I'm going to get it. Yeah. So I added him on LinkedIn. And then I sent him the longest paragraph ever. Like mm. I had paragraphs. It was literally an essay. And I was just detailing how I was like, I don't want to be another student who's going to be subject to the BAME attainment gap. But this seems like my last, my mm. last ditch attempt. Um, and then as and then two twos, it was sorted within two weeks. I, my placement was confirmed the week of my birthday. <laughs> which is in August. So imagine from February, January, February, mm. and it was confirmed August. Um, so that was my long process. You know, I was still convinced that even if they offered it to me, I wasn't going to do this placement because mm. my mind was already set. Mm. I'd exhausted all of my energy. I was so tired, so stressed about mm. everything. But luckily, you know, I spoke to my lecturers and mm. they were just like, shoulder to lean on they're like you know if you want to talk about it with me you know to help weigh up the pros and cons of this you know I'm happy to talk to you Mm. um and so I did and that's when I decided to do it you know um and I'm so grateful that I did I'm so thankful that you know they kind of inspired me to do it Mm. because I've been able to apply this situation to so many different contexts and yeah I don't know what else to say about it really you know I'm here I'm getting paid for my placement and it's all great (laughs) do you know I've been I was listening obviously the listeners can't see like the the video chat but I was getting teeth for the whole of that because like when you said I created a role I was like oh you created a role to go alongside but like as you were telling the story I was like nah she's created a placement for herself do you know how mad that is like that is like that is the craziest thing I've heard on this podcast. Like, I think to go and create a placement is just... Like, to put it in context for people listening that haven't gone to university, to do that is like... It's like, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm just sat here, just like... Uh, I, creating a placement, I'm fully, like, 
that's that's very 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 dope so congratulations to you and i think for students listening to this uh you know who are you know um what we've classed from black or asian backgrounds are like oh, i can't press my university i can't ask of demands or or push myself and things that i want like i'm this come back and listen to that because i think yeah i don't want I don't, like that's crazy. I'm actually baffled. Um, congratulations. That's great. That's great. Um, and it sounds like you had so many people around you as well that were supporting, which is also really nice to hear too. But, you know, the fact that it's something that you've managed to just think of, create and implement within, you know, we say February to August, but like six months created a whole different like way for students in the future to come through and, and, and do their placement. I think that's super, super, super good work. So yeah. Um, there's not much more to say on that besides I want I wanted to stand up and just be like you know what yeah we'll just end, we'll just end it there right that's just that is just that is just um, that's the best thing I've heard on there um, but yeah I mean thank you for sharing that I think that was a you know super super insightful um, and just before we wrap up this episode because I know you know you know time and, and schedules and stuff um, I usually ask guests like about Bristol and kind of what Bristol means to them. So just to wrap up um, in terms of like your experience with Bristol, it sounds like you've had some really cool experiences, you know, with Bristol. But if I was to say to you, like Bristol, what's the first thing that kind of comes to your mind or things that come to your mind? Like what would it be um, if you if you wouldn't mind just? Yeah, so one thing that, um, the first thing that came to mind is something that my church actually always says. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that Bristol is the city of hope mm. and you know there's a lot there's a lot going on in Bristol and there's a lot of good going on in Bristol mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the a lot of the efforts that are being made and that are being done in Bristol so many so much work that's being done is hidden mm. and it's not obvious not always out there which is why you know this is a great platform to literally amplify <laughs> what is going on <laughs> what is going on in Bristol what people are doing and you know, I'm. I love Bristol. Bristol's. I would. I would still consider Bristol my home, even though I'm not there at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. I. I miss it. You know, I. I love it there because every time I go there, I just feel like this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like there's so because it's a nice, small little city, and it's just very, it's very cozy and content, and you know, you can see that it's more like a. Whenever I meet people in Bristol, people who are like me. Mm. or look like or or are a person of color they just feel like it just feels like a family Mm. you know a family and we're all fighting for the same thing but we're all just doing it on our own own way but we all have that common goal together and you know I just I've never in my life kind of been in a been in a space or been in a place where so much so much is going on and so many people are working together and not they're working with and not against each Mm. other to fight mm. for this common goal. Mm. Mm. That's what that's what I would say about Bristol. You know, it's uh, I I think I gave it a lot of crap when I move when I moved down there, but I I genuinely I do love it. Mm. Um, and it's just it's just very peaceful. Mm. It's peaceful, but you know, we've got a, a war going on in the background. You know, and we've got a lot of warriors going, <laughs> warriors. You know, fighting this battle of you know, injustice, racial injustice, you know, mm. um, social injustice, you know, all of these different things going on. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's a city that keeps fighting mm. for what they want. Mm. Mm. 
people the people are the best part of it yeah. I think that's a beautiful like description of Bristol I mean I've, I've lived here all my life but it's always interesting seeing like we had Tavian for example talk about the difference between London and Bristol and obviously like whenever we have people that live in Bristol but are not from Bristol like there's always such lovely things to say about the city and how it makes them feel within the space which I feel is really really beautiful particularly you know as as people are from uh, you know a, a range of such like beautiful cultures and, and, and backgrounds like like you say coming together and just you know understanding and like it's almost that sort of uh it's almost like a creed in a sense you know what i'm saying like everyone's here just kind of like yeah i get it uh, we got it like um and i feel like this year has been such a like monster like monstrous year in terms of like voices and people being you know uh unapologetically who they are and like everyone supporting them for it and i think it's just been yeah uh, bristol's really set the pace for a lot of different places um around the world not just the uk so yeah thanks for that i think that's a great like everyone's everyone's answer so different but it's always in the same kind of field of just like it's great <laughs> like it's, it's it's got so much stuff to it um so yeah thank you uh listen this has been such a like nourishing conversation to hear the work that you're doing the places that you've kind of drawn from to make these projects that you're working on and the placements that you're involved in a reality i think people listening to this have got so much information and so much uh different um like takeaway points from this it's going to be a very very uh inspiring episode so thank you so much for your time um we will plug all of your projects in the description of this episode you will send everybody your way um because i think it's really really important stuff funders if you're listening to this wagwan like come on man we need to fund this up you know what i mean like this is a great this is a great project so um yeah thank you so much for your time and we'll no doubt have you on in a future episode um at some point as well yeah that's been great thank you and i'll just say since we're plugging since i'm plugging myself as well um i'm recruiting some new psychology mentors so anyone who's studied a level psychology um or and or is doing a psychology degree Mm -hmm. um hit me up plug me on linkedin um like my linkedin page for my company Yeah, (laughs) yeah and i said my final i just want to say finally like just be persistent. Don't be afraid to go above and beyond. Um, you know, if if somebody's boss says you can't do that, go to their boss and ask their boss, <laughs> and the boss's boss, and the yeah. boss's boss. That's yeah. what I say. I call it the Elise approach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and usually things get done. Um, so yeah, I could detail a lot that I've gotten done in my placement role from this approach, but. Mm. Um, that's the story for another time if you want to hear it absolutely <laughs> listen i think we're gonna have like three or four episodes of you because i think like it's a great uh you know it's you've got such like for for what you've done there's so much to like give to people and i feel like yeah absolutely we'll have, have you back on in, in a heartbeat in a heartbeat <laughs> all right uh, well i will speak to you soon thank you so much for coming on and yeah uh enjoy enjoy your time off and a bit of rest Thank you, you too as well. Thank you.